on now. You doing good? You're in the house of God. It is a thrill to have you here. Would you welcome um, our online community, wherever you're all at? Thank you all. Great to have you. Super to have you gathering with us as we study the word and as we praise our Father. I had a buddy of mine uh, got a hold of me recently, and he wanted to know uh, the nature of this unique uh, naming of our, our teaching series, Killing It. And he was kind of like, what, what, is, what is that about? And the only way that I could think of explaining it to him in a, in a quick way was one of my favorite uh, corny stories of all time. And if you're an Eastside veteran, you've heard it, so just kind of deal with it, but it helps us get on the same page. And I, I told him about uh, the guy that uh, cut his finger, and um, he didn't know. He looked at it, does this thing need stitches or not? What's it? He wasn't sure. And so just to make sure, he, he went to one of those little immediate care centers, and he walks in, he's got a little, little rag on his finger there, bleeding a little bit, and the nurse meets him and says, I need you to go down that hallway, last room on the right, go in that room, take all your clothes off, the doctor will meet you there. And the, the guy was kind of in shock over that, and he said, no, I, I just got a little, I got a little cut finger here. I probably don't need to take all my clothes off. She said, okay, maybe you didn't hear me. You go down that hallway, you go in the last room on your right, you take all your clothes off and wait on the doctor. He said, I did hear you. And I don't think that I have to take all my clothes off to look at my face. She said, let me, let me explain it to you this way, buddy. Everybody that comes in this place goes down the hallway, takes a room to the right, the last one takes all their clothes off, waits on the doctor. And so the guy goes down there, opens the door, and there's a naked guy, stark naked, sitting on his stool. He said, man, that's a tough nurse out there. And the guy said, you're telling me I'm just a UPS man. Now, now, <laughs> I don't care how many times I tell it. I love that story. Now, I hope that's not your doctor, okay? But I bet you that if you go to your doctor, they check your vitals. I'll bet you that happens. Temperature, blood pressure, oxygen levels, because vital signs are indicators of your health. And that's what this series is about. This series is evaluating your spiritual health. It's finding out how certain indicators that we all have, where we measure on those to indicate our spiritual health. Because the goal is that we are all healthy, we're all killing it. And so the nature of the series is to identify those indicators and make them clear so that after you see it, you know exactly what God has called me to be and, th and then evaluate where you're at with that. That is the nature of killing it. And the Bible suggests for us a number of spiritual indicators that everybody ought to be concerned about. And so when we think physically of things like our temperature and our blood pressure and our oxygen saturation, the Bible says there are things that important in your spiritual life. 
And so we've went through a few of those in this series. We started out with a couple of those, and you'll probably remember our first week we talked about surrender as a vital sign of killing it, turning over control completely to God. Last week we talked about study, the connection of the word of God becoming progressively, increasingly more in your life, guiding everything that you do. And that is another great indicator of your spiritual health. And then today we will talk about the idea of killing it in the serve. And as we look at this third one, we'll go through five of them. Every single one of them will tell you, are you healthy spiritually? And the reality is some of us might hear these things and think, I need to go to the SICU, the Spiritual Intensive Care Unit. We want you to be able to evaluate where you're at with those things. So today, when we get into the aspect of serve, killing the serve, I want you to understand completely what we're talking about here so that we're all on the same page. When you become a Christian, when you make the decision that I am a follower of Jesus, there is a change that ought to happen immediately. And this is the change that ought to happen. Let's look at it up here. Life from that moment, forever from then on, should turn from what others do for you to what you do for others. And that's what it means to be killing it with your serve. Now you can look at that, and if you're a historian at all, you can recognize that there have been people in history, often famous people, who've all said something like that. Politicians and teachers and, and celebrities, everybody's kind of talked about this idea that the best life can be is when you make the decision that I will now live externally for the benefit of other people rather than internally for the benefit of myself. We've all heard it in all kinds of scenarios, but they all stole it from Jesus. Because Jesus said, I left heaven, I came to earth for this reason. I did not come to be served. I came to serve. And so it makes sense that if you choose to follow Jesus, if, if you choose to be numbered among him and carry his name, it makes sense that you look like him, that you act like him. That is the nature of our mission statement of this church, to conform my life to the likeness of Jesus. So it makes sense then that I've learned to serve. I've learned to kill that in my life, to be able to make that happen in a way that that spiritual indicator is reflective, that I live my life focused on others' needs rather than focused on my own need. Now, what I wanna do in this lesson is I wanna show you how that comes up in the Bible. And when you take a concept like living a life of service to other people, you might think that that is listed dozens of times in the Bible. And it is. 
And so how do you find a place in the Bible that is reflective of service and just dive into that? That was a monumental task to be able to find out what do we want to study today. But I chose a couple places that I'd like us to spend our time on. And the reason I chose both of these places that I'm going to introduce to you in a few minutes is because the first one I'm going to show you is one of the largest, broadest sections in the whole Bible about living your life externally rather than internally, about focusing on other people rather than yourself. And so this large section of material, in fact, when you look at all of it together, it is 84 verses I want us to look at that. And the reason that I pick that is because I want to couple it with one of the smallest places in the Bible that talked about it, and it is one verse. And it's interesting when I look at the broad one of 84 verses and the very small one of one verse, they complement each other beautifully. And they do so in a way that will motivate us to live a life killing the serve Focusing externally rather than internally. Now, as I look at how those two places in the Bible tend to complement each other, you, you know me, I've shared with this uh, many times, that it helps me to kind of categorize thoughts that I see in the scripture. And so I wanna show you some thoughts I see that tend to complement each other, and you'll see what I mean when I start getting into it. So I want, I want us to start with this idea of I call gift given. That is a concept that is very important that you and I would have full understanding about. Now, where this comes from, where this concept comes from, is in this this text that I'm telling you about that is this broad, big, expansive teaching about service, and it is found in the book of 1 Corinthians in your Bible. Now, I think it's important to stop for a second, and I want to, let me be a teacher just for a few minutes here, and I want to give you a synopsis of the book of 1 Corinthians, because it's really important to know what that book is about. And I want you to understand that the people in Corinth had some issues going on. If you want to want to read about messed up people, then read 1 Corinthians. Man, their church was a mess. They had some kind of a goofy, weird, almost shake your head issue going on between a guy and his stepmom, and it had everybody in uproar. They had people suing each other. They had rich people who were snubbing poor people. They had people totally confused and teaching things doctrinally that weren't even true. And there was this group of people in Corinth, man, they just had problem after issue after problem after issue. And the apostle Paul heard about it. And so Paul wrote him a letter. And he wrote him a letter about all the things they were dealing with. And he answered some of the questions they were confused about. And one of those issues was something called spiritual gifts. And they were confused about what that meant, as you might be right now, you might think, what in the world are you even talking about, spiritual gifts? And Paul addressed that in this large, expansive section of material. I want you to see how he started the conversation in chapter 12, verse one. 
Now about spiritual gifts. I love that line because he spent 11 chapters dealing with their craziness. And you'd almost say, okay, I can't talk anymore. I'm worn out. And Paul said, no, now let me talk to you about this. You messed this up too. Brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. Now you notice I highlighted ignorant because that might be a little abrasive to you. Anybody call anybody ignorant today? Probably not. That's a little tough, isn't it, huh? Seems a little abrasive to do that. If you're from the South, you go ignorant, I-G-N-E-R-T, ignorant, ignorant. Okay. And you call anybody like it? No, you don't. That's insensitive, that's abrasive. And some versions of the Bible try to soften that. And they say, now about spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be unaware. Some do that. Some said, I don't want you to misunderstand spiritual gifts. I think they're just being pansies about it. This is what he wrote because this is what he meant. He meant to be edgy. He meant to say, I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. Here's why he said it. The word ignorant really is the word knowledge. That's what it is. So if you think of the word ignorant, it is nothing more than this word, knowledge. Now watch this. What they do with that word and what Paul did with it is he put the prefix a in front of it so it actually says ah knowledge. That's the word. The word ah, many of you know because you're great English students of the language, you know that ah means it negates it. And so what Paul was really saying to them is you have no knowledge about spiritual gifts. That's what it means to be ignorant. You don't have any knowledge. And he said, I don't want you to think that. I want you to have knowledge. Now just stop there for a second. It's a good teaching moment for us to deal with because we're talking about this idea of kill and the serve and I've started with this idea and I think it is important that we have an understanding of spiritual gifts. I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts and you understand why as we dive into this. So I want to teach you something about spiritual gifts real quick here. I want you to think of a verse in Acts chapter two, verse 38. And I brought it with us because I want us to, to look at it real quick. Let's check out Acts 2, 38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now just settle with that for a second. That is the historical account of the first people who ever became Christians. And they were baptized as the moment they accepted Jesus. And there were some things that happened to them at their baptism. And by the way, these happen to you when you're baptized. And one of them is, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So when they were baptized, when you're baptized, when I'm baptized, the Holy Spirit is the indwelling presence of the power of God. Watch this. Upon my conversion, upon my giving my life to Christ, upon my baptism, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the power of God, takes up residence in my life. God lives in you. And so you think, okay, if that really happens... What are the results of that? 
How do I know that God is in me, indwelling in me by the Holy Spirit? Well, the Bible tells us all kinds of things happen when the presence of the indwelling Spirit is in your life. And today's not the day to look at all those things. It's just to remind you of a couple of these things. These things will happen to you with the indwelling of the Spirit. Let me show you one of those. One of those is that you will begin to produce spiritual fruit. In other words, fruit will start coming from your life that is evidence that God is living inside of me. And there's a place in the Bible that tells us some of the fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, those kinds of things just start coming out of me. The longer I live for Jesus, the more spiritual fruit that I have. But watch this. And all of that was to get here. Here's what happens with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is I also start to practice spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are, are tendencies, they are inclinations, they are uh, propensities about you that tend to like to do certain things or tend to be good at certain things and you may or may not have had any of that in you prior to becoming a Christian but when the spirit of God comes within you, he begins to build those gifts so that he can use them in the service of his kingdom. So here's what I want you to know about gift given. Watch this. If you are a Christian, if you've chosen to follow Christ, if you've been baptized, listen carefully to me, you have a gift. It was put in you it is being developed by God. It is being mustered all together so that he can use it in the advancement of his kingdom. You cannot be ignorant about that. You gotta know, man, there's something in me. God put something in me. And it is a spiritual gift. And so Dave, how do I know what those are? Well, there are all kinds of those. There's no limit to the different things that God can put in your life and he can use those things. Anybody ever ate at the Cheesecake Factory? Raise your hand, you ever been to Cheesecake? Okay. You know what I'm talking about, about their menu? Looks like an encyclopedia, okay? You can starve to death before you get done reading through that thing, okay? I like to go to restaurants where the waitress comes over and says, I got a hot dog and I got a, I got a piece of pizza and I got a slice of chicken. What do you want? I mean, that's what I like. Cheesecake Factory, man, there's a million of them. That's what it is like with spiritual gifts. There's all kinds of different things that God can put into your life for the purpose of building up his kingdom and advancing his kingdom. There is a place in the Bible where some of them are listed. Now, some people erroneously look at this in the Bible and they say, those are the spiritual gifts. Well, they are some of them. They're not all of them, but man, they're a really good place to look at. Romans chapter 12 lists various spiritual gifts. Not the only ones, but I'm gonna show you this list and you're probably gonna see some say, that's me, that's me, that's me. It's because God put that in your life. Look, look at them, they're just a list of seven of them. Prophecy, service, teaching, encouragement, generosity, leadership, and mercy. Those are seven very well-known gifts that are in you if you belong to Christ. He's gonna take one or two of those and build those in your life. And you say, Dave, well, how do I know which one I got? I always play a game with people when they're really wondering that. And I say, put yourself in a real life position and find out which one of these sound like you. Let's say that you got a buddy of yours 
who was painting a bedroom uh, wall in his house and he was up on a ladder and he fell down and he broke his leg and he's in a hospital and you went to check on him. Now, based on your spiritual gift, here's what you're gonna say to your buddy. Let's say that you have the prophecy gift. Here's what you're gonna say. Dude, what are you thinking, man? You can't get up on a ladder like that. You can't do that. You got a family to take care of. Now you can't go to work. You're not getting any money. Man, you should have thought about that. You know better than that. Nobody likes prophets for friends, nobody. But some of you got the gift. Now watch this, the service. The service gift shows up. And if that's your gift, you go up and you say, I'll tell you what, I'm gonna go over to the house tomorrow, I'll get the room done, I'll paint it, it'll all be done, you don't have to worry about it. I don't want that to be a burden on you. That, that's a service. A teaching gift is, hey, you know what? I learned something the other day. I was, I was doing a YouTube thing, and I learned there's some things you can do for a ladder that stabilizes it better, and so when you get home, I'll come over and I'll show you those things and you'll never fall again. That is a teacher. Encouragement is, come on, man, you're gonna get better. I believe you're gonna get better. I know you can get better. You're gonna be better than you ever were. Hang in there, don't quit. Generosity says, hey, on the way up to the room, I stopped by the business off the hospital. I paid your deductible. You know what? I spend my lunchtime praying that God sends me friends with the gift of generosity. Everybody likes them, don't they? Watch this, leadership. Hey, I organized some guys at church. They're going to come over. They're going to take care of the wall. They're going to mow your grass. I only got the guys that know about straight lines. I got it all covered. Mercy sits down, grabs your hands, and just starts crying with you, brokenhearted. You probably are there somewhere. And that is the nature of how Paul starts this whole discussion about spiritual gifts. And I want it, I want it to soak on you for a second. I want you to just kind of pause and think about that. If you are a Christian, God has put one of those in you. He may put two or three in you. You have that in you. And if you think, well, you didn't do it for me, I don't have anything, then you are calling God a liar. You give your life to Christ, you are given the gift of the Holy Spirit to build up spiritual gifts in your life. Now watch what happens after that. I want you to see another component that comes up and that is the gift is used. And it's interesting when you start thinking of this concept that the gift is used, you go back to the situation in Corinth where they apparently were ignorant about their spiritual gifts and watch this. They weren't ignorant that they didn't think they had gifts. That wasn't their problem. That wasn't what they were ignorant about. They knew they had gifts. In fact, that's all they talked about was their spiritual gifts. And they were so focused on their spiritual gifts that some of them thought, man, I got this. I got this one right here. And I am the man. I'm the woman. And anybody who doesn't have it, you're not quite what I am. And then other people, oh, I wish I had that ability or that. And, and they knew all about spiritual gifts. Here's what they were ignorant about. They didn't know what it was for. They thought there was something about self-glorification, something about if you really got good at your gift, man, everybody's going to think you're something else, and they're going to put all the honor and all the praise on you. And Paul breaks into that and says, that's ignorant talk. That's ignorant talk. 
And then he said, let me tell you what your gift is to be used for. And 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse seven, seven verses later, here's what he writes. Now to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. This verse right here makes me wanna fall flat on my face in awareness of what God is doing in my life. The word manifestation, I don't even know why they interpret it, manifestation. It seems like a big fancy word, you don't even know what it, it, what that word means right here, really in our culture today, is a clear window. It's to be able to see clearly. That's what that word is. And what he's saying is if you want everybody around to know, dude, it is as clear as a bell that you have a spiritual gift. It is obvious. Everybody can see it. We know God has invested his life in you and given you gifts. We know that. It's clear. It's a manifestation. How do you know it? Because you've used it for the common good. In other words, you've understood that God put that in you so that you would be a benefit to somebody else. That God never gave a spiritual gift in your life to do anything for you. It was so that it would bless somebody else. And so if you wrestle through that a little bit and let that get down into you, the idea is that God comes within us, invests his spirit within us, builds these gifts, these abilities, these proficiencies, builds them in us so that we can then use it to be of service to somebody else. So life is never internal, it's always external. And then Paul will spend, watch this, he will spend the rest of chapter 12 and the rest of chapter 13 and all of chapter 14, 84 verses teaching how that applies in their setting. It is living a life externally and not internally. Now, I wrote in my notes when I, when I wrote this this week, I wrote to, to stop here for a second and let's just get real with it. I haven't said anything you don't already know. And unless Christianity is totally new to you, maybe some of this stuff is kind of, oh man, I never knew that. But for a lot of people, you're listening to me say, dude, I've heard this a thousand times. You're not ignorant about this at all. You know that God makes us and builds us so that we are of service to people around you. You know that, you understand it. But let's get real. Do you live that way though? I, I, I get it that we can understand it. But do you live that way? Do you honestly wake up in the morning thinking about whose day is gonna be made better because of me? Do you think that? Or do you wake up and in total honesty think that maybe today is the day they listen to me? If you're married, you know you think that, don't you, huh? 
This is the day that they look at me, that they do it my way, that they listen to me. How do you really, really live? Not just do you understand it, do you live that way? Here's how you can answer it. What'd you do today? What did you do today in the name of what God has done in you to make somebody else's life a better life? Tell me one specific thing that you did. And then you say, okay, do I build my life around that? A number of years ago, Susan and I were part of a church that wanted to teach that one day. And so they came up with this, this kind of program thing where they picked a Saturday morning. I remember it was a Saturday morning and I can't remember what time it started, but it went to noon till we had a dinner and stuff like that. And they said, okay, we want, to, we want our whole church congregation to take these hours on a Saturday morning. I remember it was in the summer and we want you to devote it to other people. And they were serious about it. They, they said things like this. If you have to work on this Saturday, we want, you, we want you to understand that in order to put other people first, you sometimes have to sacrifice yourself. So they said this unapologetic. If you're working, call in and tell them you're not coming to work. If you got a ball game or you're going to a tournament somewhere, call your coach and say, I won't be there. Do whatever you have to do to make the commitment to be there. And so when you showed up, had all these people show up, and they were given these, these jobs that you had to go do. We, we sent some people to some intersections, and they were handing out cold bottles of water. It was a blistering hot day, just giving them to people. We, we sent some people over uh, to take care of this group of people over there and all these different things where you just had to go, okay, I gotta take my day, Saturday, middle summer, give it up and, and go to these people. Susan and I got sent to a gas station and went to this gas station and our job was when people pulled up to get gas, we were to go up and we were to wash their windshield. So they gave us some Windex and some towels and we just go up there and we wash their windshield for them. Now you young people may not know this. They actually did that all the time back in the day when you got gas. Am I telling the truth? Huh? Am I telling, you show up for gas, someone comes out, wash the whole thing, you say, hey, you're bad. Well, they don't do that nowadays. And so we show up and I'm at this island. And so when any of the cars come up, you know, I'm washing the window. And my beautiful wife, she's right there at that island. She's doing it. And we're having fun all morning long. And I'm sitting there waiting because my island's empty. And here come a car. Man, it came flying in. Zipped in. I thought, oh, it's going to kill me. Came in, just slammed on the brakes. And I looked at it. It was one of them little Volkswagen bugs. You might remember those? Okay. Just flying in. And all over it, all over the whole car, it was one of those car um, things that had logos all over the whole thing, car wraps, I think they're called. And, and it, had, it had Hooters Restaurant all over it. And a young girl comes flying out of the, the driver's seat. <laughs> and it was, it was apparent she worked there. That's all I'll say, okay? So she jumps out and she's at my island and I look over at my wife and she is watching me like, oh, I didn't know what to do. I did not, God, please come. I didn't know what to do, you know? Do, do, I, do, do I act like, well, I don't even see no car. What's going on, huh? What do I do? And my wife said this, one of the greatest quotes she said of all time. She said, go ahead and wash it. That'll be the closest you'll ever be to that restaurant. And so I washed it down. 
And I remember that was the Saturday that I learned it is about other people. Even if they work at Hooters, okay? Now, are you ignorant about that? Are you ignorant about the idea that God has come into your life as a believer and he's built something within you, an ability, a propensity that's gonna be different from anybody else. We're never gonna all have the same things. And the purpose of it has nothing to do with you. It has to do with other people's lives, profiting, being benefited, because you use what God put in you to give to them. Now, that's that big section in 1 Corinthians. And, and what, I, what I said is that attached to it, I'd like you to see this little tiny verse. It's in another book in the Bible, it's just one verse long, and you will notice that it adds another concept. It kind of supports the first two, you'll see that in a second, but then it, it, it adds this thing. Here's what it adds, the concept of gift explained. In other words, why, God, are you doing all this? And that little verse explains it. It's in 1 Peter. Peter wrote some letters in the, old, in the, in the back of the New Testament, and, and it's, it, it's hung back toward the end of that letter, and it's just one sentence long, and I want you to see it. Let me read it for you. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Now, I wanna keep that up there for a few minutes because I wanna talk about that in a minute, but you'll see up at the top the first two concepts. Everybody has a gift, gift given. Why do we have it? Gift used to serve other people. And then you have this phrase, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Now we're gonna keep that up there because I wanna tell you a story and then I wanna show you where that, that fits in. You might recognize the name Tony Evans. Tony Evans is one of the most well-known pastors in America. He's the senior leader at Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship in Dallas. If you get a chance to hear him speak, you go, okay? If you get a chance to read his book, read his book. And Tony wrote in one of his books one time about this subject we're talking about. And he wrote something that he told his church in his book that when I read it, I said, dude, that is, that is too stern for me. And I was thinking if I was a member of his church, I might've got up and walked out. I thought, man, I don't know if I could have stayed there if I sat there and my preacher said this to our church. I wanna, I wanna read what he wrote and here's what he said to his people. He said, at our church in Dallas, a person can't be a member without agreeing to serve. When people come to our pre-membership class, we give them a list of 100 ways they can fulfill their ministry responsibility. If they don't wanna serve, they will have to go to some other church to be a lazy saint. They can't be it here. You can't say to the church, preach to me, sing to me, counsel me, visit me when I'm sick, take care of me when I'm in need, encourage me, but don't expect anything from me. That's ripping off the kingdom. <laughs> Can you imagine me saying that to you? And I struggled through that. I wrestled through that. I still wrestle through that a bit, but the reason is, 
is because I'm ignorant about something. If you go back to the verse that we looked at and see the part that is highlighted, it explains why what Tony Evans said was not over the top at all. Faithfully administer God's grace in its various forms. Now watch me as I point. The word gift and the word grace is the same word. What's that mean, Dave? Watch. So for God to say, Hastings, I'm gonna come inside of you. Me? You know what I've done, God? Yeah, I know what you did. And I'm gonna come inside of you. And I'm gonna build up a propensity, a giftedness that can further the advancement of my cause. I say, do you know who you're talking to? Do you know my path? I know all about that, Dave. I'm gonna come into you because I am graceful to you. Now watch this. And it is your responsibility to pass that grace on to other people. And if you keep it here, and you don't give it to anybody else, watch this. You are abusing grace because it is not intended to stay inside of you. It is intended to be external. So if I keep it, I'm ripping off the kingdom. Somebody say, wow. Okay, I'm not the only one that that kind of said wow to me. I wish um, that God did not always, prior to me preaching things, give me personal applications on them before I preach, uh, because most of the time it doesn't turn out well. That's why I don't preach on patience, because God will teach me before I can teach you. It happened this week. I had a meeting a few days ago with a, a gentleman who advises me on personal financial matters like life insurance and taxes and savings and all that kind of boring stuff. And I meet with him a couple times a year to say, you know, you know what, what, what soup line should I probably sign up for? And you know, where, where am I at, how am I doing? And uh, I had a meeting with him that he had canceled uh, last month until this week. And so when we got together, I, I thought probably he'd gotten sick or something. I said, man, are you okay? What, you, you all right? What happened? He goes, oh, no, Nan. no, I'm fine. I'm fine. He said, a client who's 78 years old and his wife died. His wife's all he had, man. It broke his heart, tore him up. He just couldn't seem to get past it. And uh, he, he was just wiped out in grief and sorrow. And so he thought he just needed to get away for a little bit. And he flew over to Europe. And he went over to Europe, and while he was there, he just wanted to get a little vacation all by himself. He got involved in an accident and went to the hospital, and he was, he was all alone over in Europe. And he said, I heard about it. And I bought a one-way ticket to Europe, and I went over and I spent three weeks with him. And I went every day to the hospital, made sure he had a good meal, so he wouldn't eat hospital food all the time. I made phone calls for him. I just sat at his bed and talked with him. How you doing? And this, this, kid, this kid isn't 30 years old yet, and he's telling me this story. And I said, you, you gave up 30 or three weeks of your life to go do that? And he goes, yeah, I did that. And I started laughing. I said, oh, he probably invests more in your company than my three bucks a week, okay? That's right. And he said, yeah, he does, but that's not why I went. 
He said it didn't have anything to do with money. He needed someone, and I figured I was the someone. And I got in my car after that meeting, and it struck me that I went to that meeting to learn about financial health and what I learned was spiritual health. Let's not be ignorant about that. Father, sometimes I need your word just to maybe make the light a little bit brighter for me. And I, I pray that throughout this weekend there will be people that you will bring here who need to hear this, good people, honest people who love you, who are living like the axis of the world turns around them. And I pray that we hear today what it will take to turn that around and to make that vital sign healthy again. Help us to think external, not internal. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray, amen.